My name is Maximus Decimus Meridius. I am Iron Man. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Post Credit Podcast. I am your host, Eric Italiano, senior writer at ProBible.com. And today, as always, I am joined by my co-host, Kate Onder, who you can find writing about video games and Mission Impossible over at ComicBook.com. Today, we are talking about who I like to, who I've started calling movie theater Jesus. Um, we are talking about Mission Impossible, Dead Reckoning Part 1, and all the Tom Cruise that comes with it. But before that, we are going to be talking about all the Deadpool 3 news that has dropped in the last week or so. But before all of that, our buddy Cade, the podcast video game expert, one of the internets, I'd say you're a video game expert one percenter. <laughs> what does that mean? One percenter, one percent of what? Uh, you know, in like the top uh, oh, video I mean, game minds in the business. Okay. Sure, yes, yeah. I will. I'll take yeah. the title definitely. Yeah, so there you go. Uh, Microsoft won its court case against the FTC. I don't know if I'm using those words in the correct order. I know that that is kind of what happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, so the FTC just kind of pops up and says, uh-uh, "I don't think so." Just kind of out of the clear blue sky. FTC was trying to block Microsoft from buying. Activision, which is the studio behind games such as Call of Duty and a bunch more, right? Yeah, Call of Duty, Overwatch, World of Warcraft, like a lot of huge shit. Tons. And from what I understand, the verdicts came back kind of quickly. So, Cade, why don't you walk us through exactly what this means for Microsoft, Xbox, and just sort of gaming at large? Yeah, so 18 months ago, Microsoft wanted to buy Activision. It's been a whole drawn-out process where all these regulators have to go and approve it in December. The FTC was like, nah, no, no, no. <laughs> and Microsoft said, what the fuck? And it's been a big whole thing ever since. But yeah, this thing wrapped up the two weeks ago. And um, now we have a verdict. And basically, um, there's one last hurdle for Xbox to clear, but they can sidestep it if they want to basically there's a thing that has to happen in the uk for it to be like worldwide total approval but if the uk decides hey we don't want to do it which i don't think they will at this point microsoft can still go through with the deal in america and it'll affect things in the uk i don't totally understand the logistics of that it's it's confusing but basically with the likelihood that it will go through worldwide um microsoft will have control of call of duty now um, they have promised PlayStation at least 10 years of like, you're going to get Call of Duty on PlayStation 5 and like the next PlayStation. And um, that's very exciting. That also means Call of Duty will be available on Xbox Game Pass day one, which is like a subscription service, kind of like Netflix for Xbox, where you get all of their games for like 15 bucks a month. So you don't ever have to buy Call of Duty ever again if you're on Xbox, which is huge. And there, there are some very interesting caveats to all of this because uh, Call of Duty, at least until the end of this year now, um, has a deal running with PlayStation where PlayStation gets to market Call of Duty. It's like PlayStation's the best place by Call of Duty. Come to us. That's still going to apply through the end of this year with the next Call of Duty game. So that's going to be really weird. But um, play, or, uh, yeah, PlayStation said, we will not give Microsoft our PlayStation development kits for the next PlayStation to develop the next Call of Duty game. Uh, so for PlayStation 5, they're fine. But when PlayStation 6 is about to come out and they're trying to make the new Call of Duty for the launch of the PlayStation 6, 
I don't know if there will be one because I think I saw they said won't be until 2028. Yeah, it's it's so ways off. And I mean, those dates could move. But I mean, that's roughly going based on like patterns. That's typically the right amount of time. So in 2028, there may not be a Call of Duty at launch on PlayStation 6. We'll see. Um, But it's all very interesting. You know, we'll have to see exactly what Microsoft chooses to do. Will they just let things continue to operate as they have been just with a little more resources? Or will they let the Halo team jump on Call of Duty and be like, hey, put your own spin on it? There's a lot of interesting possibilities. They have said they want Activision to continue to kind of operate independently, which is what they've been doing with Bethesda. But Microsoft still has, you know, they're in charge, so they can tell them what to do. So um, it'll be really interesting to watch. Do you have any questions about? Well, I would just say from an outsider point of view, the most fascinating thing that I thought I saw from this whole trial, I guess you could call it, is that the Xbox like CEO, what was like Phil's something? Phil Spencer Spencer basically saying, yeah, we're in third and we're getting our asses beat. (laughs) I mean, I didn't know that. Yeah. I mean, from a pure like financial standpoint, definitely like Nintendo's at the top and PlayStation is second, though you could argue PlayStation is like first in terms of other metrics it's it's all about how they choose to measure things you know like i mean i think xbox is probably behind i mean halo is like all they really have in terms of like big groundbreaking ip you know playstation has the last of us uncharted horizon all these other things goes to tsushima nintendo has mario and zelda and metroid and xbox has kind of been lacking for the last 10 years but so so, and i guess that that's my why is the whole industry basically just an ex exclusivity arms race it's really funny you say that because the ceo of microsoft who was phil spencer's boss was like if it were up to me i don't want exclusives i think they're bad and i think someday there is a chance that could go away because if you think about it things have really changed especially in the last 10 years with if you're on xbox you can play with people on playstation you know on call of duty you can play together they have created systems to allow cross-platform play which is really exciting yeah i think it's the same thing on uh fifa Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so all of that's really exciting and and shows that those barriers are coming down. But I mean, exclusives at this point are more or less the only differing factor for these consoles, right? Other, I mean, they're all basically equally powered. There's small differences there. But if you're trying to decide what you're going to buy, it comes down to the games. So now it's just like, well, what do you what are you more interested in? Are you interested in like big shooters with multiplayer? That's probably where you're going to go with Xbox or big cinematic. You know, just like thinking about it now, one of the reasons might be if there was no exclusivity, that the only way that these gaming companies could undercut each other is to keep lowering the prices of their products, which certainly is not what they want. So I could see why they're sort of holding on to it. But like, you know, it's just... For someone who's not, you know, in the spot where they could say, oh, fuck it, I'll buy both of them. It's such a pain in the ass. And, and and I find it to be a huge wall towards more people gaming. I guess that's their trade-off, right? It's like, do we want a larger pool or do we want a bigger cut of the pie for ourselves? I will say one area where this wall is starting to fall down is PC. Like Xbox has been pushing all of their games on PC for day one, which is because they have Windows, right? But also PlayStation has been doing this on a smaller level, but like God of War, uh, Spider-Man and The Last of Us and Uncharted 
are all on PC right now. And there's usually a big gap between, and it's usually used as like a marketing tool. Like, hey, the next one's coming out. It's only going to be on PlayStation. But if you have a PC and you're interested in the series, why don't you come in and see the previous one? Maybe it'll encourage you to come buy a PlayStation. Um, and Xbox is almost more of a, less about hardware and more of like an ecosystem. That's how they've kind of been describing it for the last several years is we're building an ecosystem across platforms, which is Xbox, PC. And now if they're cloud stuff, they want it to be on your TV, not just a, through a box, but like you just load up the Xbox app, right? And then you use Game Pass and then you're using it to play Starfield and you don't need a $500 box. And the cloud stuff isn't quite there yet. But I mean, by the time the next Xbox comes out, if there is one, assuming they don't just go all in on this stuff, then, you know, you'll probably be able to just buy into the ecosystem through your computer, even if you don't have a um, super powerful gaming computer, or like I said, your TV and just have the only thing you would need physically is an Xbox controller. That's sick. Yeah, yeah. That, that, that would be very nice. Yeah. All right, let's move on to Deadpool 3. We've gotten a ton of news, photos, leaks, et cetera, et cetera, over the last week or so. It began with news of Jennifer Garner last week, but we'll get to that in a bit because we cannot start anywhere else. But the first look at Hugh Jackman's return as Wolverine, he's seen wearing his iconic yellow and blue suit for the first time in the cinematic history of the character. I think it's hysterical, just classic comic book film Twitter being like, oh, the suit's sick, but why does it have sleeves? And then I think it's come out that like Hugh Jackman is super susceptible to skin cancer. And everyone's like, oh, Sorry, never mind. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like, maybe just keep your fucking mouth shut for a second. <laughs> Everyone's a critic. And then you find out that Hugh Jackman's had several surgeries on his nose for skin cancer. Yeah. <laughs> That's not funny. I'm just laughing at your A plus delivery. Um, all right. Where do we want to start? I mean, you definitely, I feel like you have pretty strong opinions about this movie that you've been sharing on mm-hmm. Twitter. So I will let you go second. Look, I, as a Logan purist, I mean, Logan is literally one of my 10 favorite films of all time. You know, wow. it flirts with the top. Yeah, I love that movie because basically it's, it is the next evolution of The Dark Knight, right? Whereas The Dark Knight became the first comic book film to get a performance nominated i think logan was the first one to get nominated for its writing which i think is a huge step forward for the genre and it was just it it was the fact of at the time and still now that he's back hugh jackman was the longest running comic book character i had an association with his portrayal from the time that i was seven until the time that i was 25 years old you know so that is basically a lifetime so i love that film and when i was hearing that he he was coming back i usually am on the side of just like let people enjoy things corporations suck but this is what they're gonna do so we might as well enjoy it but i did understand the concerns about this is kind of gonna sully the ending but with all that said if this is such a wholly different take on the character that we've ever seen outside of Logan. This is the first time that he's going to be having the R rated shield, but that was like a hardcore Western brutal film. Whereas this is going to allow it to be almost Tarantino gore esque in a more comic tone. So I'm excited to see that. I'm excited to see them play with the character's history on film and 
in comics and sort of perhaps poke fun at how those two have split. I am sure they're going to comment on how he's so tall. What's the whole point if they don't do that, right? So I feel everything that I've seen excites me, except for the way in which it's being rolled out. The cameos being reported in the trades, the photos being posted by Reynolds himself, which I understand he was probably trying to beat uh, the paparazzi photos to the punch. But still, I don't understand why they are being so front facing with the content of the film. Now, that also makes me hope that perhaps they have a lot more up their sleeve. And I think the key to all this is how it's done, right? So the lecture thing to me, I was like, dude, what the fuck are we doing? And I'm sure you have thoughts on that as well. But if they go a certain way with it, which we'll discuss in a bit, then I'm on board. So the more I learn, the more uh, open I am to a lot of what they're doing, uh, especially after yesterday, where we saw the buried 20th Century Fox logo, a la like Planet of the Apes. It's <laughs> like, yep, this could be really cool. And it seems like they're fighting in front of it, which is interesting. And speaking of the the gore, um, I liked you posted that that like footage that people recorded of the fight scene. There's a a moment where Hugh Jackman throws like a red ball. And then in the background, you can see Deadpool getting thrown through a wall as if probably like he's CG first. And then, you know, they're using practical body thrown through the wall. It seemed like like a piece of Deadpool's like arm or something comes off. And that's what he was throwing. And I was like, okay, this seems like it could be really fun. Um, So I, I really like a lot of that stuff. I agree with you on we know too much about movies before they come out. And it's getting kind of ridiculous to the point now we're seeing entire fight scenes getting filmed. Come on. I mean, someone made a an unfortunate point that this is why Marvel Studios does not film on location. And you always see you never see those things, really. Uh, you just kind of hear True. about them. So, yeah, I guess I hope it you know it looks good um yeah like i would have much rather the first look been in the trailer you know yes yes it would it'd be great you know it's like, good have to some have some fucking patience people yeah <laughs> it's it's nice to have some pictures you know of small things like the costumes like, right like but the cl- or like they could have shown the yellow sleeve and his claws there are the claws, ways yeah. to dole it out in, sl- in, in smaller pieces absolutely yeah. um and i do speaking of the, the claws i love the the little I don't know what you call them, the holes, I guess, in his suit that are very yeah. comic book accurate because they could have easily gotten rid of those. I love those. Those look so cool. Um, I hope that. Yeah, it's like uh, Batman's kind of like. Yes, little gauntlets. like things, yeah. yeah. Um, I, I do hope that this movie is not shot with that kind of classic, very flat MCU look uh, because I think that could make the costumes look not as exciting um, because they pop out a lot. So if you do not shoot the movie in a way that, encourages that then it's going to look pretty dumb um i would hope speaking of the cameos because when i heard about it i was like what are they doing and then the thought was presented to me that deadpool is going around killing the fox universe and that is the movie he's making his way into the my whole theory is the tva is like you can't come in you're gonna fuck with the multiverse it's gonna cause things collapse he's like what if i just kill everybody what if I just literally make it so there is no universe <laughs> and then I yeah, can come exactly. join, right? <laughs> yeah. And I guess maybe that's probably... That seems to be the route that they're going, yeah. What's fascinating is the context in which Wolverine and Deadpool are going to find themselves as teammates. Like how, yes. like how they're going to actually link them up, you know? It, based on just various things I've seen and heard from all over the internet, 
it sounds like this is not the only Wolverine. It sounds like there are other versions of Wolverine in this movie. So this could be a comic book Wolverine or something else that we did not see in a movie. Then there are other ones like the one from Logan or the one from X-Men The Last Stand because it's, it's been I hope that. they don't t- they don't touch Logan. Like, don't even mention it. I, I'm sure they'll mention it. You can't not, right? Mm. I mean, they mentioned it in Deadpool mm. 2. That was like the intro, right? He's like, fucking Wolverine died. Now, now I know, I know. But it, but it was cool then because it was like, he's never going to come back. Yeah. So it was yeah. funny. Now that he's back, if they're like, hey, remember when you had that awesome yeah. film where you died and everyone loved it? Now you're back. Like, nobody yeah. wants that shit. Yeah. yeah. No, I agree. I hope they're they're very sensitive about how they handle that. Um, I'm sure... And they don't have Daphne Keene in the movie, as far as we know. I feel like that would have mm-hmm. been rumored already. So I, I feel yeah. like that's a good sign that they're not yes. going to yes. delve into that movie. But, I mean, she's also, she was a small child. That's way different than just bringing back someone who was a full-grown adult, right? Like, you can't bring back right. those kinds exactly. of people. Yeah. Um. But, yeah, I'm, I'm very interested. I'm excited to hopefully see Ben Affleck. I love him. We love him always. Oh, right. You kind of touched on both my points. There's not much I have to add to it. It does seem like they're going to be partially adapting Deadpool Kills the Marvel Universe, which is a comic book that released, I think, a decade ago, 2012. It looks like they're going to be working in the TBA in which it looks like that beach that they are on is possibly in the void, which is (laughs) was from Loki season one, which was sort of like a meta in terms of like there was a that Thanos copter and a loki crocodile and a very self-aware jokey tone to this post-apocalyptic wasteland that seems to be the exact vibe that we've got here so i think you're on point with the theory of the plot as for the cameos look yeah jennifer garners was confirmed not only by the trades but as i said by ryan reynolds own production company which i i found specifically weird which then as you said logic suggests that Affleck's Daredevil will appear as well. We'll probably get a few more X-Men Fantastic Four cameos along the way, but that's kind of the whole crux of it is if they are using it for like brutal humor, then I'm down. But if they are using it for like a walk down the Fox Marvel Hall of Fame lane, I don't want that at all. That's exactly it. I want the only reason the only reason Electra should ever be on screen again is to have her head cut off. Yeah, exactly. Like that's the to me, she's kind of the key to this whole thing, right? It's like, oh, I get it. This cameo is so fucking stupid that the only logic is that they're killing (laughs) her, and they're telling us because they got a ton more cool ones up their sleeve. Yes, like I heard, uh, Channing Tatum as Gambit is one. Yeah. You have the possibility to kill Marvel heroes that have never been killed on screen and will likely never be killed on screen under Disney. Like, so yeah, exactly. The, we, I love death in, in movies. <laughs> and I, <laughs> I, I love killing iconic characters. So if you can kill characters that, like I said, don't have the opportunity to do that ever again, or at least in this way specifically, I mean, Deadpool will never get this opportunity probably ever again. I mean, go in there, cut some heads off, fight Ben Affleck do cool fight scenes with some of the greatest superheroes in marvel comics i mean that's that's really exciting so if they do it right it could be really special you know the only thing that we of course have to touch on that is a major bummer is that they are doing this during the writer's strike which not only is a which is not only a bad (laughs) idea for movies in general but a particularly bad idea for a character like deadpool who not only is comedic, which lends itself to improv, but is also a fourth wall breaking character. He is talking to the audience, which adds a whole nother level of like 
uh, script complexity to it. Yes. When you drop those moments in and how you do it could either be a hilarious joke or have the potential to make the entire thing collapse right on its head. Now, the, the benefit of that is Deadpool is almost an entirely masked character and uh, Ryan Reynolds is a producer on these movies and is heavily involved. Oh, so, so they can after the writer's strike, yeah, they can ADR it or they can bring him in on a green screen or whatever and do whatever. So like there is room to like save that portion of it at least, which is very nice. Um, but I imagine a lot of this comes down to shit. We have gotten all these cameos and we have scheduled them all in and we have no yeah. idea if they will ever line up ever again. So we have to go now or we're not going to be able to make our movie. And yeah. it's unfortunate. Um, but I, I really, really hope this doesn't compromise the movie in any notable way, because as we all know, that's what happened the last time a Wolverine Deadpool movie was made. Oh, Origins. exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Same so. time. Holy hell. <laughs> Oh, yeah. I actually forgot about that movie. Wow. That was a bad fucking movie. They're going to talk about that a lot in this one, probably. Absolutely. All right. Let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we're talking about Mission Impossible, Dead Reckoning Part 1. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify. The global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. This is our chance to control the truth, the concepts of right and wrong from everyone for centuries to come. You're fighting to save an ideal that doesn't exist. Never did. You need to pick a side. All right, and we are back. We are breaking down Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1, which hits theaters. I'm not actually sure when it hits theaters. It it says it hits theaters on Wednesday, July 12th. (laughs) People have been seeing it for the last week, I think. I guess if you like pray to the Walmart gods or something, you get to go earlier. I shared a ton of my big picture thoughts last week, so I'm going to cede the floor to Cade, who just saw it for the first time on Sunday and is seeing it again tonight, which is Tuesday. So he's going; he's got two showings within the span of 48 hours. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I planned to see this tonight uh, initially, and then Walmart was like, we have tickets. I'm like, okay, great. I'm going to go see it on Sunday. Um, but I'm seeing an IMAX tonight, very excited. Um, but I, I, I really, really like this movie it's not perfect but it's um it's really great and i for i have a friend who does not like tom cruise i have a couple of friends that don't like tom cruise they claim his movies are ego trips and i think that's just silly and if that i mean no matter they are but they they are but they're entertaining both those things could be true yeah yes exactly but um there's i i wrote you know who you you know who can throw back in their face yeah so are james cameron's yeah, everyone who's operating at this level is on an ego trip, and that's totally okay. Because um, I was, I was gonna say, no one can really make movies like this besides like Spielberg, Nolan, maybe Scorsese. He doesn't do movies quite like this, but he has the power to if he wanted to. James Cameron, maybe Quentin Tarantino. Um, Tom Cruise has a lot of power and a lot of resources to achieve whatever he wants. This movie has a budget of two hundred ninety million dollars, which is fucking ridiculous, and is able to 
build a real train, put it on a real railway, and put it in a situation where it really derails and also have a bunch of action scenes in and on and around the train. That's good old-fashioned filmmaking, baby. That's what I'm talking about. And no one else can do that because a lot of studios would be like, oh, I don't know, a lot of time, a lot of money, a lot of a lot of you know concerns about safety, which is fair. <laughs> um, fuck your safety. Uh, but yeah, Tom Cruise is like safety. What? Safety. We don't we don't do that. It, his saying is something like "Don't be careful, be competent" or something like that. That's his <laughs> that's his motto. It's crazy. That's pretty good. That's pretty and, good. Though. I like that. Um, it's just we we don't have anyone making movies quite like this. Like I said, maybe Christopher Nolan is the closest it comes, but. It's someone who has a great understanding of filmmaking and storytelling and can combine that with the most over-the-top action set pieces who can kind of come in and act as a secondary director and be like, we're going to do this. And then I'm going to put myself in the driver's seat, quite literally, of all of that and do something you've never seen before. And that just makes for impressive movie making. And um, I think even like, you know, it comes down to it the story is everything. And I think the story is exciting. I, I found myself very riveted and intrigued by every twist and turn of the story. And don't you find the plots of these films confusing as shit though? I've watched Fallout <laughs> yes. probably at least 15 <laughs> times in my life. And I only wrap my head around the plot like last week. It's like, I, I, I understand what's going on enough to like be emotionally engaged and excited and concerned but like, I was like, wait, you stop and think about it for just a second. You're like, why is this person on this train? Why are they going out of this train? Why didn't they do this or that? And they're explaining it every step of the way. But there's so many new layers being added on as soon as you get one explained that it's like, I can't really keep up. But I trust you to tell us something competent enough that this makes sense. All right. Let's start with the new characters that this film introduces us to. I have long said what changed this franchise more than anything is them not only creating a hero in this world as badass as, but they cast Rebecca Ferguson to play that role. So I think once they figured out that the best way to sort of balance out Tom Cruise's Tom Cruisiness is not with like a heavy hitter actor but like a charismatic, I mean, they are romantic, but she also beats the shit out of him half the time they're on screen together. (laughs) So like, you know, so I think that that's when the franchise truly changed. And then since then they were like, all right, well, this one will add Vanessa Kirby to. And then this time around, they're like, all right, shit, let's add Haley Atwell and Palm Clementif. And they both work again. Haley Atwell, for obvious reasons and performance, steals the show, I think. I think she is legitimately great in this. I I find the whole pickpocket thing to be a bit corny and cliche, but that is sort of the tone that this film is going for. So I kind of admire it in that sense, too. As I said on last week's pod, Palm is basically, did you see what I mean? She's basically playing the Joker. Oh, absolutely. She's just having a time (laughs) of her life. Yeah, so fun. she's she's fun. So it's basically just they double down on the formula that already worked for them. This is your spoiler warning. We are going to be talking about spoilers from here on out. Spoiler warning, spoiler warning, spoiler warning. Haley Atwell is obviously going to be a key player in the second film. Palm Clementif is not as her character meets her end. They say she has a pulse at the end. They come those CIA guys, they come and they put 
their fingers. Oh, on do her they? Neck, and they say she has a pulse. So oh, so she's I'm, gonna be a good guy now. Sick. Seems like it. Yeah. Sick. The good old Terminator out. Yeah, she's exactly. a good guy now. Yeah. Sick. <laughs> uh, okay. Cool. I'm fucking on board with yeah, that. Absolutely. That's kind of a bummer though, because in a franchise who's and we'll get to the death in this film and a franchise whose deaths are largely red shirts it's just like this building exploded or this car crashed or whatever or this cia guy got shot her sort of arc of like noticing ethan hunt showing her kindness and then her doing the same thing i was like cool nice message so Mm -hmm. i am a little bummed that she survived but because of how fun and badass her character is I'm fine with her coming back. So that's on one side. The other side of the new introductions are the villains, which I have as the sort of AI program. Uh, The dude from Ozark, S.I. Morales, and the dude from Boardwalk Empire as Shea Wiggum, who's who's not. He's a villain in the sense that he's against Hunt, which there's always some kind of suit figure in these films telling Hunt, you can't do this, Hunt. I'm going to put a stop to you. (laughs) You got to add those. What were your thoughts on the villains of this film, which I'd say more so than most, like, let's say Fallout, right? The real villain of the film is not revealed until the third act. Whereas this movie, the villain, the AI, is introduced in the first scene. Yeah. Yeah. um, It helps. There there are a lot of comparisons to this movie already about Uncharted, the games. And I think that the villains actually enhance that comparison to, like, another level. Like, the Uncharted games are always, like, there are several groups of people chasing after a treasure, there is a treasure in this movie, which is that key, which looks like a very Uncharted-esque little plot device. True. And they're all yeah. chasing after it, and they all have their different motives, and they're all stabbing each other in the back to get it, which is really cool. And I love that the AI is called The Entity. That's so corny, but I fucking love it. And it, it literally growls. <laughs> just randomly has this big rumbling <laughs> sound that I'm just like, yeah, fuck it. Why not? And um, what I found really interesting, too, was uh in the last few days i've been reading more about the the production of this movie and i i guess that when they're making these movies they don't really write characters they cast somebody and then they write the character for the actor that explains how nicholas holt fits into all of this because we were wondering a couple weeks ago how the fuck would he play this guy which even makes even less sense now that i've seen the movie and the question the answer is he probably wouldn't have he would have been a completely different guy and I don't yeah. know what the story with Ethan Hunt would have been necessarily, but they obviously had time to figure that out with COVID and whatnot. Um, I liked him. Did you feel that they needed to like tie him into Hunt's past? No, like because they don't really do anything with it that much. Like there's there is something, but it's like, okay, <laughs> like I don't know who that woman is. <laughs> Plus, it's like right, and they eventually do that in present day, regardless. Yes, exactly. So it's like, why fucking bother? Exactly. It's it, it would have it makes sense to set that up at, at the beginning and be like he does it again, but like they don't play enough with that dynamic to really justify having it happen twice to Ethan Hunt. I think if that had been like Michelle Monaghan's character from the previous movies and killed her instead, uh in the right, initial yeah. kill, that would have made sense. I don't totally I I wonder if they're gonna come back around to all of that in the next one. I don't think Ilsa's dead, which is crazy. I fucking hope not. What <laughs> makes you say that? I thought it was um, pretty cut and dry, no? 
I mean, the movie foreshadows pretty heavily at the beginning. She's dead, right? When he takes I know, and I was really, it took me out of it so much. I was like, no fucking way. Yeah. They just killed her in the first act. Yeah. But they no, didn't I show that. Well, crazy. did they show that? Oh, no, they show her like lying down, but yeah. then she pops up. Yeah. yeah. So I think that was more foreshadowing than not. I mean, this is a movie that literally has a whole sleight of hand trick all all way through with the pickpocketing stuff right and the the little magic things he does with his hands i'm like they're doing something here because they don't they don't sit with it long enough to right. and, yeah. and if they if that's just because they didn't have the it runtime, all goes but... down before the credits drop i think right oh the the her fake out death yeah yeah and then like confirming that she's not dead yes yes it's yeah. like there's yeah. a 20 30 minutes of like oh she's so gone. sick though yeah. Um, yeah it's really yeah. smart so i fully believe that there is a chance that they have done some trickery that's all gonna make sense in the next movie and there's gonna be some big deal going on there but i, I don't totally know i i just don't think they spend enough time on her actual death for me to buy in to the fact that that character is gone i don't know yeah that's a good point. I wonder if that she's maybe just Dune tied up <laughs> and that they and that possible. they don't have a choice and that they yeah, didn't have a yeah. choice. Yeah, I mean, look, I told you last week that there was a choice in this film that I hated. That's yeah. it, because I think she's the coolest character in the entire series. Sure. And usually I respect franchises like this killing darlings like that. But when we are on the verge of what's supposed to be like the grand finale. And she's such an asset to just purely kinetic filmmaking. It bums me out. Mm -hmm. What would bum me out more is if they went back on it. Now that she's dead and they went for it, fucking kill her. And that's that. As much mm -hmm. as I would love to see her back in the next one, I would find that incredibly annoying and deceiving and almost a waste of time. Sure. Furthermore, on her death, I did it, they didn't establish this guy as enough of a badass to make me buy that she <laughs> would lose that fight at no, all. I, I agree. I mean, we don't I'm trying to think, do we see him fighting before that at all? Because I think we in the airport, he's just kind of walking around. We don't even know who he is quite yet. And I don't think they have another face to face encounter until this big party. Am I right on that? I mean, you saw it two days ago. I saw it <laughs> two weeks ago. So yeah, so I, I think I'm right. So like, yeah, we don't see enough of him in action to be like, oh, this guy is the end all be all. You can totally buy that he'd be able to kick Grace's ass because she is just a pickpocket. But exactly, um, to to have him kick Ilsa's ass, it's like it's definitely like mm, interesting. But um, do do you do you like Gabriel? Are you like do you consider him a good villain i mean to me the villains in this never they are just a means to an end the yeah. end is making hunt go through crazy shit that yes. is sort of what they're there <laughs> for it's not like i'm showing up for them to steal scenes now while i thought philip seymour hoffman in three is great i think sean harris is fantastic in five and six i think that the cavill reveal in six is great i don't necessarily care much about the villains so i kind of went into this film feeling that same way and I, that's why i was on board with the whole idea of it being ai i thought that, that was something very sort of new and abstract like ethan hunt can't beat this film with punches you Absolutely. know and where it sort of breaks down for me is them going with the classic oh you know like i've known this guy for 20 years yeah. he killed my old wife hello old friend <laughs> i don't need that stuff i think the guy is a good performer but I think he's a bit too gray for me to buy 
him being able to go one-on-one with Hunt and to beat Ilsa. So, yeah, in terms of needing, I, I guess, a um, surrogate for the AI program, he yeah. services the plot well enough, but I didn't leave it thinking like, wow, man, what a villain performance. Yeah, Like it, Sean Harris, I think, is definitely better and, and yes. a villain that I enjoy much more. I agree. Um, I, I like Gabriel. I like his performance, but I just don't think the the writing does enough to like give him enough kind of menace. I think I think telling us that he did something bad once upon a time and not necessarily showing us why did we still don't know why that happened. I, I know that there's this is not the full movie. We have another part to explore, but it's like I feel like that should have been handled in part one, given everything they do with all that. I don't know if they have the room to expand on Ethan's past in part two with the momentum they're building here, but maybe they'll, they'll do it justice. I don't know. But um, I, I think the AI itself, like you said, is a super cool idea and the way it's constantly having to change because it, it like knows people's fates and all this stuff. It's very, it can predict people's behavior based on what they've done. Um, Which I really like that AI spin. I do too. And the whole Luther being like, listen, they, the AI orchestrated something for Gabriel to kill someone you love so that you would kill him because you want to kill the AI. And if you kill Gabriel, you'll never find it. And that is the only way the AI can stop you is by you dying or you killing Gabriel. If you don't kill him and you survive, you can beat the AI. And I'm like, that's so fucking cool. That's so cool. And uh, yeah. also the AI hacking into his comms while Benji's talking to him and misdirecting him. Like that's a very real thing that we're seeing right now. Like with yep. speech, you know, mimicking. In, in AI. Yeah. yeah. So that was just like super smart. And um, I guess I can use this as a segue to bring up my, my theory about part two. Um, so the end of the movie we don't, the AI is at the bottom of the sea. It seems very likely that the AI is going to probably get desperate and probably try to destroy technology in some capacity or limit it so that everyone's on the back foot and the AI has total control. And we've seen a bunch of set photos of this biplane fight, like World War II planes flying after each other. We don't know what the fuck's going on. It seems very likely that either Ethan Hunt's not going to trust a real plane like a modern plane because he's scared that it could get hacked and shut down or they're not even going to be an option and they're going to have to use these biplanes to do whatever it is they're trying to do which is really fucking cool <laughs> yeah i think um, that's a hundred percent right if they like if this next film hunt just needs to use like gas powered things the oh, entire absolutely time. <laughs> yeah. i mean like even in this movie you see a, a reliance on on very modern technology benji uses a self-driving car to in, in the final sequence and i was worried that they were going to try to injure him and that would be the cliffhanger uh by the ai hacking into the the self-driving car and you know throwing it off the, the road or whatever but they don't but i do think that is a, a real thing i mean we already see um the government setting up like an analog um system for all of their files and records so that they aren't completely in the dark if the ai completely takes over and they're using this like old spy satellite which i guess is somehow immune to these kinds of you know control techniques so all of this is really cool and i really hope like the next movie is just like the dark ages right where they are just back to like you said like hand cranks you know like projectors yeah, yeah. and shit like that'd yeah, be yeah, so yeah. fucking cool and i i yeah. really do think that's where they're going 
Uh, all right, let's move on to the set pieces in the film. So, like I said, it's been two weeks since I've seen it. So, please fill in the blanks for me in case I miss some. I have there's the desert as one, mm-hmm. there's the mask scene, which is basically like he infiltrates the CIA yes. to have that one on one with uh Kittredge. There's the airport. There's the one where he runs. Every single film has one. This one, he's trying to run to save Elsa's life. And there's the train. Are there more than that? Am I forgetting? Uh, I think that's, yeah, that sums it up. I'm pretty sure. So were there any standouts to you? As I touched on last week, I really liked how the airport was sort of a throwback to MI before it became uh, the thinking man's fast franchise where it was more about like deception and paranoia and being watched and all that stuff. I think, of course, like the ingenuity of the, the train scene, which we've seen tons of train scenes in film. Your favorite film of all time has one. Uh, an iconic one at that yes. Wolverine has one bullet train is one uh, Indiana Jones Indiana Jones so the fact that they were able to find a new way to do it and sort of the whole it slowly falling and then them utilizing the weightlessness that the, that mm-hmm. comes with that I loved that the one where he's running I like seeing Ethan Hunt lose because mm-hmm. it means Tom Cruise has to act so I yes. thought that that part was really cool where it's like he's run he's running like he always does but whereas usually he's running against the abstract theory of death right it's like Mm -hmm. if you don't get to point x a nuke's going off everybody's dead the world is gone this is the opposite of that if Mm -hmm. you don't get there somebody that you love dies so the desperation in it felt much realer quickly let me just touch on something that i said last week hunt falls in love too much him (laughs) having feelings for Ilsa, but then like slowly, not slowly, quickly started to develop them for Grace is absurd to me. Like that, yeah. like when he running to save Grace, I was like, this is kind of stupid. He literally just met her. But when Ilsa popped up, I'm like, get your ass there, dude. Hurry up, let's go. You know? <laughs> so uh yeah, so that's how I feel about that one. The mass scene with Kittredge, I thought was might have been maybe my favorite credit drop that this franchise has cool. done so far, waiting so long to do it, using again what I like for MI opening. I found this to be very kind of quiet and pull back. Yes, I guess I was really with- shocked by that because a lot of people told yeah. me like the opening of this movie is crazy. And I was like waiting for it. I'm like, even the scene of the desert's like pretty restrained. And then you realize yeah. why they're doing it. And I'm like, yep. oh, shit. Yeah. And, you know, just like the just the sheer confidence and balls that it takes to have like a couple set pieces and then drop your credits is just is just unreal. And it worked perfectly for me. Like I was whereas you put out a tweet like you literally had like claw marks in your chair. I think I literally said out loud. I was like I was grinning ear to ear like, let's fucking go. Like I yeah. am ready for this movie. So they nailed that one. Uh, yeah, so those are kind of my general thoughts on the set pieces, Cade. What about you? The airport, the airport and the train are probably my favorites. Uh, I thought just every little. I love this series because even when you're watching the heroes, you're not even fully clued on what the fuck they're doing. Because you see the the moment where uh, fucking what's his name, uh, Shea Wiggum is about to grab Ethan Hunt, and they turn around. It's just some guy. 
And then they keep yeah. doing that. And I'm like, oh my God, so smart. And then there's a nuclear bomb in the airport. And it's not <laughs> there a is, bomb. There's always, I know, I know. Yeah. I was going to say, but there's always a nuke somewhere in these movies. One of my Fake funny, or real. The funniest line in the movie is, if there's a nuclear bomb, you tell me. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. You don't hide that from me. Um, that's amazing. And uh, I just thought every little bit in that sequence, like just a new layer, a new layer, a new layer, and building and building and building until Ethan Hunt has to escape through the roof and run across the airport rooftop. I mean, just super cool. Um, and like you said, classic spy stuff. And that's as we're getting introduced to all the different groups that are going to be participating in this movie. When Palm comes up to that guy with the silenced pistol in the newspaper, doesn't say a word, just drops him. Super cool. Um, I think the train sequence is, again, just like super cool. I, I, I love that they show you all of these different train cars like multiple times, and then they all have some like extra layer of danger when shit starts falling apart like they're they're running through the little kitchen and then it catches on fire because of all the grease and stuff and then it blows up when they're going out of it oh it's so good and um the unsure like they found and they they found new ways they they found a way to put spins on classic sort of action tropes ai which we've been seeing for 50 years they found a new way to do that with sort of its I mean, I, I don't know if it's new. I'm sure it's been done somewhere, but yeah. it's predictive probability-esque weaponization. I love yeah. that. And then the train. They found a new way to do that and by slowing it down to almost a stop. And that becomes like the pseudo ticking time bomb where it's not just exactly. like, there's a runaway train. Oh, yeah. no. It's like, oh, no, the train is, it's it's been run away you got to get off this sucker now yeah Yeah. (laughs) i think the funniest joke in the movie is when they're walking through the plan before they go and tom cruise is like i just need the train to stop slow enough for me to get on top of it and then they show a little like shot of him like slowly getting on the train just like super easy and i laugh so hard because i'm like it's not that's not what's gonna happen we all know that's not how mission impossible works Uh, yeah yeah um but yeah like and then i love the way when he does arrive on the train they do it in like a buster keaton comedic (laughs) ass way where he comes crashing through the window and knocks some guy out like that is something that these films i I don't think were previously doing as much and that's why i told you i think it's like weirdly both not counting the first one because that's like a paranoia thriller i'm talking like of the action ones yeah the most serious but also the funniest of these films yet absolutely and then there's kind of a this is what i was talking about with uncharted like uncharted 2 the game starts with nathan drake in a crashed train hanging off the side of a cliff and he's like passed out in a chair and he wakes up and he's injured and he has to climb all the chairs to get off this dangling train as it's falling apart and collapsing and that's exactly what happens here where ethan hunt has to climb the train with grace on him basically and she will not let go of him she's like he's like do you trust me she shakes her head no and he says do you trust me yes <laughs> and i just i love the adrenaline of that because like they've created stakes in these movies that i'm like I don't really know what's going to happen. I feel like, you know, Ethan Hunt's going to survive because there's a part two and I can't imagine them making part two without him as the main character, but um, it really speaks Speaking of which, I've heard that that now they're saying they're not going to stop there and that there's more. I guess. I don't know. I've heard that too. I don't know what the point is. How do you, they already tried to pass the torch from Cruz and it did not work. So like, what's their game plan now? I I don't understand. I I don't know. I wonder if they're going to bring, not for the leading role, but I do wonder if they'll have Renner in the next one in some capacity. That would have also been an interesting angle with Ethan 
his vulnerability has always been the people around him. He's not right? in Fallout either. Right? No, he's in Rogue Nation and Ghost Protocol. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, I, I think that's an interesting thing about Ethan is his friends are his vulnerability. He, as Alec Baldwin says, he is the living manifestation of destiny or whatever. Like nothing can stop that guy. You shoot him, he'll come back somehow. But if you hurt his friends, that's going to hurt him. So I think if they really want to take a risk, just start killing off like the the various people that have been in these movies that aren't really around, like Jeremy Renner, like the girl from Ghost Protocol. And like, just, just bring those people back and just kill them off. Just have fun with it yeah. and just be like, yeah. we're really going for something crazy here. Cause um, I, I think Ethan Hunt kind of gets his um, John Wick. Yeah. I'm thinking I'm back type of like intense line when he's being held back by those guys. And he's like, it won't matter where you hide. I'll find you. That is written. And I'm like, Oh my God, Ethan Hunt's a fucking badass. You know, hearing you say that, I feel like Ving Rames' character is perfect for that. He's literally Absolutely. like set up as Hunt's best friend, yet nobody really cares about the character, <laughs> you know? Like, yeah. I think if they killed him, I'd probably, because I, I, I think one of the best things about a death in a Hunt movie. Hunt would be tight about that. He'd be exactly. Pissed. That's what I was going to say is what usually works for a death for me in a movie isn't so much the loss of a character, it's seeing how it affects everyone else who's still living. And seeing Ethan mourn. Ilsa in that moment was like, oh, that is pretty, pretty tragic because this guy has has not been able to love anybody like completely because of his lifestyle. But he finally found someone who has the same life as him. And this could work. But we all know that's not how it's going to go. Maybe we'll see. But um, yeah, I think if you killed Luther, it would hurt Ethan so much that it would hurt me. (laughs) All right, kid. Any final thoughts on the film itself or the set pieces before we move on? Um, no, I, I just I really, really, really like this movie. Um, I think it it has a really interesting story. Um, it has a lot of great action. It's just really well made. I mean, given these movies are basically made around the stunts, they try to justify everything through story some way or another after coming up with these crazy stunts, and they always kind of nail it is really yeah. really special um so yeah this movie's awesome and i i can't wait another year for part two all right let's take a quick break and then when we come back we are going to rank all seven of the mi films when you need mealtime inspiration it's worth shopping kroger where you'll find over thirty thousand mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie and no matter what tasty choice you make you'll enjoy our everyday low prices plus extra ways to save like digital coupons worth over six hundred dollars each week you can also save up to one dollar off per gallon at the pump with fuel points more savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping kroger worth it every time kroger fresh for everyone fuel restrictions apply all right Kate, we're back there are now seven mission impossible movies the franchise i think what 1996 right yep began in 1996 it's almost 30 years old at this point which is just insane to say so and i also think what is fascinating about it is there is a very clear sort of turning point in the franchise between three and four so with all that said we're going to rank our favorite mi movies Kate, let's start from the bottom so your least favorite to the top i think we're going to be both in agreement for this one my least favorite in seventh place i have number two yep i would say that and then next i've got a more recent one relatively ghost protocol that's the one where he climbs up the building yeah it's tough. I literally sat here for 20 minutes trying to decide my ranking and they just kept moving around. And I, I'll probably say 
I don't. It's not because bad, but like Rogue Nation is probably Whoa. my second least favorite, but not because it's a bad movie. I mean, that just speaks to the quality of the franchise. That two is the only truly like one that's not very good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, all right, then uh, third to last, I have the first one. I understand its merits, but I just I come to this for like explosive set piecery and that is not what that one is and i think it has it does look a bit like when it does try to do the set pieces it looks quite dated at this point yeah i i probably agree with you right there with one with one yeah yeah, yeah. next up number three in the fourth place i'd probably put, possible three Philip probably put seymour hoffman ghost protocol right there i really like three so ghost protocol uh-huh. is probably there for me all right, Ghost Protocol. See that's so that's the one where that they were debating giving it to Renner, Renner. and they introduced yeah. his character. Yes, and then it made a bunch of money, and they were like, "Well, apparently Renner. there was like a more like actual like direct were actually giving it to Renner in this movie, uh, like route when they were making it, but then McQuarrie was hired by Tom Cruise to come on and like rewrite the script, and he's like, "What the fuck are you guys doing? Why are you trying to get rid of your star?" And they're like, I don't know. And he's like, yeah, we're going to change this and this and this. And you're going to thank me later. And here we are. Yeah, wow. That's incredible. (laughs) So with that said, my number three favorite in the franchise is Christopher McQuarrie's first. And that is Rogue Nation. It figured out what Ghost Protocol did in terms of what these films want to be and the scale of their set pieces. But whereas... Ghost felt very sort of early 2000s. I don't want to say slapsticky, but lowbrow. Maybe like, let's have him climb up a building and his sticky gloves die. Oh, no. You know, that doesn't feel as sort of well constructed as the stunts have since become. This also um, introduced Becca Ferguson as Elsa Faust, which I genuinely think is one of the great action characters of the last 10 years or so. I'd probably put number three at three. Hmm. I really like uh, and then num- Yeah, I know. I just the way that they open that film alone is puts amazing. it higher on this list. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah that absolutely. scene is fucking incredible. R.I.P. to the goat. Yes. Uh number two, I have got Dead Reckoning Part One. This movie fucking slaps. And that's yes. kind of it. Yeah, I, I was there was no point during the movie where I was like, this is better than Fallout, except for maybe during a little bit during the train sequence where I'm like, this is getting me there. But I uh, gotta say, when they dropped the credits so late, I was like, oh shit. Yeah, that's because that's always a sign of a banger. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, yeah, no, Dead Reckoning part uh part one at number two for me as well. I do think if you want to count part two as like one movie, like it's all one continuous movie when it comes out, if they continue on the momentum that they're building here and like really succeed and nail the the ending. I think there's a chance it could rival Fallout, but just as it right. stands now, I think, yeah, yeah it's, it's behind Fallout. And then number one is Fallout for both of us. Not only is it the best film in this franchise, not only is it one of the best action films of the last 20 years, I think it's one of my favorite films of all time. It is just an action symphony and the way in which everything leads into the next, every set piece is perfectly detailed and weighted with both emotional stakes and sort of blow your mind physics. I don't know if they're ever going to top this movie, but the fact that they are still trying is a great sign. Yeah. I mean, like the fact that that, that movie is just really tight. I know it's like 
almost yep. two and a half hours, but like it's yep. it's very well paced. I think all the plot beats are great. Bringing back Michelle Monaghan, Henry Cavill as the villain, the big motorcycle chase through Paris is really excellent, and that um, that fake out like prison break thing that they do is really cool with killing all the police and um, the helicopter stuff at the end is fantastic. Um, everything about that movie is like perfect. And the idea that, I don't know if you've heard the story, but Tom Cruise leans over to McHugh at, at the end of every movie and he says, we can do better. The idea of that even being said at the end of fallout is like kind of unimaginable to me, but um, I, I think it also speaks to, there were a lot of scenes like cut from fallout. Like everyone talks about that helicopter about to collide with the truck. Do you remember that in the yep. trailer? Yep. That's yep. not in the movie. The fact that that's something that they felt they could cut and the movie would still be fucking awesome. Really yeah. tells you everything you need to know about. Yeah, how great that absolutely. Movie actually is. absolutely. All right. On that note, we are going to wrap it up. Thanks for joining us this week. Make sure to follow the podcast at postgred pod. Also on TikTok and Instagram as I'm trying to grow those platforms. Follow Cade at Cade underscore Onder and all of his fantastic work at comicbook.com and myself at Eric underscore Ital. Leave the podcast a review if you haven't already. Cade, the next time you see my face, I may have been Oppenheimer pilled because I'm seeing it on uh, the 18th. So that depends. So that's a week from today. So yeah, I probably will, will have seen it by then. I'm so jealous. I can't wait to see that big, beautiful bomb. So next week... <laughs> so next week i will share my thoughts on that we'll talk a little secret invasion maybe i will hopefully have a interview or two for y'all and that'll do it all right we will talk to you next week peace my name is maximus decimus meridius 